Today we are finishing up on our Love Reigns series about uh, the impact of Easter with Christ's love for us. Uh, we've been challenging ourselves to let the love of God, the love of Jesus Christ, reign in our hearts, and not only in our hearts, but in our lives, and in our minds, and in all that we do. First week on Easter, we celebrated uh, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus on that Easter morning when he overcame death when uh, they could not keep him either on the cross or in the grave, that he overcame all of that. And that impact, the miracle of what he did, brings us that salvation that gives us eternal life and that resurrection, that he is the one true king and the Lord and the Savior of all of us. And as we obey him and follow him and seek after him, in essence, be his, become his disciples, we looked at uh, the second part, that impact of salvation in our lives, that he deals with the, his love reigning in our past. That in salvation, what is forgiven? Everything. Everything, right? All of our past, all of our worries, no matter what we've done. You know, I think of the thief on the cross all the time when I think of this passage. That there he is on the cross, no time to redeem himself, no time to do anything good. But because of the love of Christ, in an instant, he is ushered into salvation into heaven that uh, the love of Christ reigns over us, and as we trust in him, that love covers our past and it no longer has to haunt us or have any power over us. Um, that heavy burden of sin, that heavy burden of regret and shame can be gone in Jesus if we just trust him to give us that fresh start. Last week, we looked at uh, the love of Jesus reigning over us for our present, that uh, the decisions that we make in the present affect what? our future. Our present is a result of decisions we've made in the past, and we want Christ to reign over our present, that as we seek him, we make better choices in Christ, that we not become better obeyers, but that we seek God's word and seek to follow his way over our way. And this final week, we want to look at the thing called our future, that Jesus' love reigns over us in our future and takes care of that, that as we said earlier, we don't have to worry about the future, you know. Ken mentioned the book of Revelations. We've all read the end of the, the story, right? Who wins? Jesus wins, right? Isn't that cool? We know who wins, but yet we find ourselves worrying, don't we? And that's what we're dealing with today. Anyone remember the Magic 8-Ball? Uh-huh, yeah. Any of you still own a Magic 8-Ball, <laughs> right? Anybody ever own a Magic 8-Ball? Remember, the Magic 8-Ball was that little thing, came out in the 1950s, is that little gimmick that you would kind of ask a question just kind of randomly out in the air, and then you'd shake your Magic 8-Ball, and suddenly you'd turn it over, and on the bottom would what? There'd be an answer. Yes, no, or maybe. Wow, so profound, right? <laughs> yes, no, or maybe not. That wasn't just random chance, was it? I mean, this... There had to be something to that. You still see that Magic 8-Balls in some of these high-end tech magazines from you know, people that you know, have made their fortune and want to go back and relive their childhood and buy a Magic 8-Ball. But the one thing about the Magic 8-Ball that shows us is that people have an interest in what's going to happen in the future, right? I mean, we even hear about the horoscopes and all these other things that people want to know what's in the future. Anyone have any money in the bank? Well, I'm glad you do. Not, I yes. don't. So <laughs> where'd you get yours? So, you know, if you have money in a bank, you're always seeking your financial people and watching to see what's going to happen in the future with the stock market and the bank is in the interest and all that. The economy, 
And we all have this desire to know what's going to happen in the future. Well, the crazy thing is being a Christian is we know what's going to happen in the future. We just don't know how it's all going to come together exactly when. But what we do know is that in that hope for the future and that wonder for the future, we also, as a world, as a people, have an unhealthy obsession with this thing called worry, right? Anybody in here ever worry about the future? About uh, Justin used to joke with us when we uh, when he came back from uh, one of his mission trips, and he's on a on a trip with us, and uh, we're making food, and he is just plowing down the food like crazy, and we're like, dude, there's plenty to eat. Why are you doing this? And of course, he goes off, and if you know Justin, he kind of lives from day to day and moment to moment. He's like, well, you may you never know where your next meal is coming from, so I got to eat now, right? So he's packing in the food. So some of you can practice that this afternoon, but we don't always know how the future is going to unfold. We know the ultimate future, but we don't know how it's always going to unfold. So we have this unhealthy obsession to worry about it. And it causes us stress and anxiety, right? Now I think of this, especially as a woman, although I'm not one, that when you stress and you worry, you get those little things called wrinkles, right? And that makes you worry even more, right? You've got to guide the anti, buy the anti-aging cream and anti-wrinkle cream because now you have signs of anxiety, right? And age, you've got to get rid of that. And it's just this continual search circle of going on and on about worrying. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about worry. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today if you want to turn me there. And while you turn there, I want to ask you to do a little test with me. I want you to think about something this morning as I'm speaking, which, uh, you know, usually for a pastor is not a good idea because usually everybody in the congregation is thinking about something else while the pastor's speaking anyway, right? Your mind's off thinking about what's going to go on this afternoon or about what you saw on TV last night. But I'm going to ask you to think about something specific about your impending future as we're speaking. Something specific about your impending future that you are uncertain about how it's going to turn out. Now it could be retirement, it could be your finances, it could be catching COVID, it could be about an earthquake destroying your house. Um, for, for most of us, except for kid on the room, it could be how our animals are going to fare, you know. It could be about anything. Maybe your health. But I want you to think about one thing that concerns you as we're sharing this morning and seeking in the word in, in, into God's word. Just one thing, because chances are most of you as I'm sharing that can think, well, geez, which one? I've got like 5,000 of them I'm concerned about, right? You want me to pick just one? Yeah, I do. Just one and think about it. Worry as we talk about that can be all consuming, can't it? You ever notice when you're worried it just fills your mind and you don't really get much done, right? Because you're too worried about that. You've got to spend your time worrying, not doing. It takes our attention. It takes our time. And if we allow it, it takes control of our mind and what we're thinking. Here's what I want to propose to you this morning and what the Word of God says. Worrying about things in the future that have not come yet, that most often we really don't have a tremendous amount of control over. Worrying does not improve your life at all, does it? So then why in the world do we do it so much, so often, all the time? 
We do it because it's human nature. There's that sinful nature that says we have to have control. Right? It's that sinful nature that says I have to be able to adjust my future. Remember, sometimes in our prayer life, we don't always ask God about the future. We kind of tell him how we want it to play out, right? That sinful nature wants to have that control and to be able to assure what's going to happen in the future. And the reality is, we don't. We don't. This last year, if you've been in Utah, is just a good sign of that. With all that's happened, I mean, the COVID thing, we've beat to death over the last year. But the earthquake uh, up in Bountiful, we've had 70 and 80 mile an hour winds blowing through. And you know how much control we had over that? None. When we had that earthquake a couple months ago, how much did you have control over stopping that earthquake? None. When we hear on the news that in Centerville and Bountiful, these 70 and 80 mile an hour winds are going to come through, we just panic because we have no way to stop them. And our bedroom window faces the canyons, and I just kind of picture as I'm sleeping, I'm not, I'm worrying, I'm not sleeping, I just picture this window just blowing in in the middle of the night, and like, now i got to wake Christy up and give her the duct tape so she can go fix this, you know? That's true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but... Worry doesn't do us any good because we really don't have that control. And so the thing that I want to propose is this. There's only one way to truly stop worrying, and that is to put our complete trust and faith in Jesus. Now, as Christians, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Like, well, I've accepted the Lord. I said the little prayer of salvation, maybe 90 times, maybe one time. But I, I accepted Jesus into my heart. He forgave me my sins. The Holy Spirit fills me. I have trust and faith. Well, then why do you still worry? Why are you still concerned about everything in the future, especially that one thing you're thinking about right now? Why is that bugging you? If you really have that trust in Jesus that he says, I'll care for you, I'll provide for you. In fact, you read the Old Testament, it's all about God providing for his people, bring them out of bondage, taking care of them day by day when they're out in the wilderness, providing for them when other nations rise against them, giving them a promised land. Well, yeah, that's great for the Old Testament, but that was then, this is now. I mean, they don't have the modern society we have now and the stress and the worry, right? Well, they have their own stress and worry. If we really trust Jesus and have faith in him that he is truly the Son of God, and as Christians, we're really that savvy and have that down, then why do we worry? Why are we anxious? Why do we stress over that stuff? Because we're still growing in Christ. And although sometimes we like to say those nice little Sunday school you know, answers like, oh, I trust Jesus, the truth is we don't trust him as much as we should, do we? We still want to take that control. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 27. Jesus speaks to this struggle of worry. And the cool thing in this is as Jesus is speaking, the context of Matthew 6 is Jesus just isn't speaking to the world, to non-Christians, or what they called pagans at the time, the non-believers, the Gentiles. Do you know who Jesus is speaking to in this context? To believers, to those who are following him, which tells me that Jesus knows that we struggle with this issue called worry. And he says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, I'm reading on a New American Standard, it says, For this reason, now stop there, 
What is Jesus telling us? He knows something about us that we don't admit really well, right? He knows that secret thing that we like to say we trust in him, but we really don't. He says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put, up, put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you being worried can add a single hour to your life? You know, when we don't dig into these verses, they slide off the heart really easy, don't they? Like, oh, that's nice. But when we dig into them, we see that God is speaking to us and the fact that, how many of you in this room worry? How many of you have been Christians for more than a year and you worry? Maybe more than a decade and you worry? Maybe more than a century? <laughs> oh, never mind. Just kidding. Even though this passage was written some 2,000 years ago, as Jesus is speaking to the people of that time in a non-technological society, still agrarian, still farming, still ranching, they were still worrying. But yet when we read this, does this speak true to us today? I mean, could Jesus be saying, standing before us right now and saying, why do you worry about this stuff? Where are you going to be? Where are you going to get your next meal? Where your clothes are going to be? What are you going to wear? Why do you worry about this? Look all around in nature. You know, Christy and I went on our hike yesterday, and it was good because the soreness and pain and stiffness of being old reminds me that God isn't done with me yet because it'd be nice to be dead right now because it's just no pain, right? But when we were out there yesterday, I love going out in nature because you see God's beauty. And I'm out there walking around on this little two-and-a-half-mile hike up through the canyon, and it's just beautiful, and the stream's gone, and all the stuff's out, and everyone's getting along, and everything's beautiful, and the air is fresh. And I realize I have zero control over all this stuff. And yet God just provides it. And like in the passage, there's the birds and there's all the other little stuff. And they're not out there worrying about things. Do you ever see a bird kind of sitting by the side of the road going, oh my gosh, I need handouts. Give me handouts. Or saying, thing, I got to gather this stuff up. Do you ever see birds just kind of building a second little nest just to stash food in? <laughs> Sounds kind of stupid, right? But have you ever seen that? I mean, isn't that what we do? We build our extra storage spaces <laughs> to keep stuff just in case, right? But have you ever seen a bird out there doing that? Well, I got my nest here to raise my little chicks in, and here's my storage nest. See how big it is? Doesn't happen. And yet God provides for them, doesn't he? This passage in Matthew speaks directly to us even now. It shows that our human nature is to be anxious and concerned and stressed, but that God has a better way. And it's part of that spiritual growth that God is calling us to, that even though we intellectually know that we shouldn't worry, what do we still do? Worry. You still thinking about that one thing? Just one. Don't, don't spread out on me. Just one. I want you to keep that in the back of your mind. Here's the deal. God sees us. He doesn't want us to worry. He doesn't want us to worry about our daily needs or our daily wants. He 
wants us to realize that our lives are more than just those physical desires. What are the physical desires I'm talking about? Food, right? I mean, I have my own food storage just in case Y3K hits, right? I carry it with me, my own flotation device because, you know, maybe I don't have food out there. We worry about what we're gonna wear. I mean, I find one of my biggest worries is about my employment and how it's gonna work out. And the things I end up worrying about with my customers in my secular job, most of them, I honestly have no control over. You know, when the guy from the ski resort calls me up Saturday morning and says, hey, where's my order? Where's the truck? And I'm in Bountiful, and he's up there, up, up the canyon, and the truck's in Salt Lake somewhere. Do you really think I have any control on just poof, making that truck appear? No, but yet I worry about it, and I'm concerned about it, and I get, try to dive in and do what? Fix it, right? Isn't that what we try to do? God wants to show us the proof of his ability to provide for us. Now, let's not take this wrong that we just go brain dead and don't do anything. I mean, God still calls us to work and to be wise and to prepare. So I'm not saying just, woo, free for all, just go for it. I mean, you've still got the plan, right? You still have to be wise about what you do, making those good decisions, but we also need to trust God and to lead us and to providing for us when we obey him that he will do his part and provide for us. Do you know right now how much you're loved by God? No. We think we do, but we can't fathom it. Are you loved by God just as much as you were the day of salvation? Yeah. And you know what? You are loved just as much by God, not only in the day of salvation, but in all those years that you were rebellious and a sinner and an enemy of God. Do you know that he still loved you then? What a strange thought, isn't it? But God has loved you all through that process. And the Bible says that we were created and molded by his very hands while we were yet in our mother's womb and given a purpose even before we knew God in that salvation moment. And God's love has provided for us all through that. Our future is also in his hands. If God provides for our past and covers our sins, helps us in the present to make wise decisions, do we not really think he'll not provide in the future? Sometimes we don't. I mean, we sit there and you may be thinking like me, well, pastor, that's nice. You're saying God's going to provide, but I've read those missionary stories. I've read about the persecuted church. I've read about the people going down to South America and the missionaries having to eat grubs because that's what the tribes eat, right? And I don't want to do that. God still provides, although sometimes he doesn't do it in the way that we want him to do it. We can't allow ourselves to trade what we don't know for the future to blot out the unfaith in God. Worry doesn't add anything to your life. Do you know that? Well, that's not true. It adds stress. It adds high blood pressure. It adds wrinkles. It adds weight because anybody ever stress eat? You know, or stress sleep. Well, I'm so worried. I just got to sleep for four days now instead of one. You know, I got to take a break. I'm so worried, so stressed. I got to relax. I just got to check out. I got to take a vacation. I remember working with a couple that had a little restaurant, Bountiful, that they had three businesses. They were all running tremendously poorly. 
young couple, and they were trading money from one business to the other just to keep them all afloat. And the crazy thing is that when I'd go to talk to them, I'd always have to go in and ask them to pay their bills because they were past due. And you know, when you're past due, you don't always get your order. And I'd go in and they'd be like, oh, I'm so worried. We just don't have any money. And I'm like, well, what are you doing about that? Well, we're gonna go on a vacation for a week just to unwind and de-stress. Well, isn't that gonna cost you money? Well, yeah, but we just need it. And then they come back, well, we spent five grand on vacation, but we just don't have enough money to keep things going. And it was just a perpetual cycle. They, they were constantly running away because they were what? Worried. And actually what they were doing was making the situation what? Worse. Worse. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Isn't there a verse you know, that says, give us this day our daily bread. And we've talked about this many times. In the Exodus in Egypt, God provided manna how often? Daily. And how much could you collect except for the Sabbath? One day's worth, right? One day's worth. And that was intentional. I mean, so many people read that story like, why didn't you just stock it up? And people tried to stock it up. And when they hoarded it, when God told them not to, and they tried to keep extra for storage, what happened to the manna? It got wormy, right? And they weren't into wormy food, right? God provided daily for the very purpose of teaching those people to trust him how often? Daily. I get my manna today, and God's provided, and the Bible says, no matter whether they ate a lot or little, they all had enough, right? But he only gave it for today. What do you think those people in the wilderness went through? Oh, here we are, we're out of Egypt, no leeks, no garlic, no onions. We've been out here for months now. We only get enough manna for today. What about tomorrow? How am I gonna provide? You think that's what they were thinking? I do, because God kept teaching them the lesson. So he would provide daily so that they would have enough. And the way it was supposed to go was, hey, God's provided every single day for the last six months. What am I worried about? But do you think they continue to worry about tomorrow? I do, because God kept teaching them the lesson. They didn't get it. God says, I'll provide you your daily bread. I'll take care of today, and I want you to trust me for your future. Your future is in my hands. But that's where we have issues, isn't it? That we intellectually can say that, but we still worry about that. Now let's go to a verse back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, 11. This verse is often taken out of context. I don't want to do that. But we do want to look at it because God is telling us something. Gen or Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And the one thing I want to pull out of there is not that, well, God just promises our future is going to be wonderful, which is what some people say, right? I mean, we know it will be that way in heaven, but in this earthly life, there are still challenges, there are still struggles, but it's that God has a future plan for us. And if you know the end of Matthew, there's a promise that Jesus says he'll do one thing. What is that? He'll be with us always, right? He's not going to leave us. He's not going to bail on us. He's not going to say, well, your quota's up. I got to go. I got to go help somebody else out. You've, 
You've sucked me dry. I'm too much. I got to go help somebody else out. He says, I'll always be with you. And in essence, God says, I have a plan for you. It's all going to work out. And if you don't think it's going to work out, think about the miracle of Jesus himself. We talk about Christmas time about all the prophecies that Jesus had to fulfill to be the Messiah. And what did he do? He fulfilled them. And that was astronomical mathematically, right? I mean, even to fill 10 of the prophecies is a huge mathematical number to do that. And he did them all. And yet we know that intellectually, but we have a hard time applying that to our lives to say, God's really going to take care of my future. Don't we? When it comes down to being honest. We need to trust God that he will care for our future. He will give us his word to give us insight and wisdom and discernment to make good decisions now to follow him that our future will work out. Because we still have that choice to not follow God, don't we? God gives us that freedom. But he gives us his word, he gives us fellowship, he gives us the Holy Spirit to speak to us to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to obey and just trust me and do what I ask you to do because then I'm going to provide for you. Now let me put this in a very simple, down-to-earth format. Anybody know that Christy bought a puppy? And she's training this puppy. Well, here's the deal with this puppy. Or is the puppy training her? Well, the puppy has been training her, but she's working on that. So when she tells the puppy to do something, if the puppy doesn't do it, you know what the puppy doesn't get? A treat. But if the puppy does do it, what does the puppy get? A treat. You know what the puppy loves? Treats. And the motivation is to get the puppy more excited to do whatever it needs to do to get that treat than to override that negative thing of doing what it wants to do. Isn't that really the, the whole process? In essence, that's what God's doing with us. He wants us to trust him to get the reward more than trying to take those issues back in our control. And that's the obedience factor that God is teaching us, right? It's just, isn't that nice that we're brought down to the level of a puppy? <laughs> isn't that great? Doesn't that make you feel good? You want me to make it even better? Jesus calls us sheep. Have you ever looked at sheep and how smart they are, Helen? They're not smart, right? It's really not a compliment. But what God is saying is, I want you to be simple that I'll provide for you. Even with the sheep example, he says, as the sheep follow the good shepherd, what does he provide for them? Still water, protection, and green pastures. Because sheep freak out with running water. So they have to have still water or they won't drink. Ellen, you grew up south with sheep. Will they decimate an area and just stay there and die? Yeah, they won't move on on their own. So the good shepherd has to move them, right? That's what God is saying to us. If you just obey me and override that temptation to do what you want to do, and just trust me, I will give you the wisdom and discernment to get to that future where there's that promise and that hope. Here's three things I want you to ask about the decisions that you make today to affect your future tomorrow okay number one does the decision you're making right now align with scripture well you know that Bible verses are for other people they don't really fit my situation you ever heard people say that in the church 
Well, I know God's speaking to other people about that, but you know, my situation is different. No, it's not. God's word is true and unchanging. When you and I make decisions, does it line up with the word of God? Well, God doesn't tell me not to buy that lottery ticket. Nobody does tell you to be wise with your money. I mean, if you got six bucks in the bank, don't spend five bucks on a lottery ticket. Maybe buy a meal instead so you can survive for another day, right? Be wise about it. Number two, does the decision I'm making draw me closer to Jesus and make me more like him? Now that sounds kind of weird, but isn't the process of spiritual growth to be more Christ-like? So the decisions that you and I make on a daily basis that impact our future, are they drawing us closer to God? Are they making us more Christ-like? Or are they pushing us away from being Christ-like? Number three, will the decision I make benefit others? Now that one sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? But did Jesus come for himself? Did he come from heaven, from the Holy of Holies, to a simple world of going, whoop, whoop, look what I can do, look what I can do, whoop, whoop. No. You see Jesus showboating, like when he's coming in on the donkey in Nazareth, going, whoop, whoop, look at me, look at me. No, we don't see that. Jesus came for the sake of who? Us, others. To bring them salvation. He didn't come for himself. In fact, in the upper room, he puts on the loincloth, and he washes the other disciples' feet to say, this is the example I want you to follow. I want you to be a blessing to others. Most often, typically, we pray this. God bless me. God care for me. God take care of the situation. For who? For me. The Bible talks over and over about Jesus when he would go off to a quiet place to pray with his father. And he would constantly tell the disciples that he was doing one thing for them. What was that? Interceding, praying for them. The point is, as we become more Christ-like, the decisions we make, we need to realize they have that impact on others. We've talked about this in years past, about the little imagery of you've got a nice, beautiful, still lake. And there's one drop out in the middle of the lake that drops down and hits that and causes that ripple. How far does that ripple go? Eventually all the way to the shore right? The decisions that we make impact others. And so part of the maturing in Christ and those Christ-like decisions now are questions saying, are the decisions I'm making now just for my benefit, or are they somehow going to bless others in some way, shape, or form? Maybe it's someone I meet randomly, maybe it's my family, maybe it's my church, maybe it's people at work. Are the decisions I'm making now going to bless others that we're not praying so much, God, take care of me, do this for me, help me, fix me, but Lord, bless others. Take care of them. Look out for them. God, you've already got me in salvation. You've already got my life. God, I want to intercede for those that don't know you because they need you just as much as I needed you. There are people that are sicker than I am, that are poorer than I am, that are struggling more than I am, that have more demands on their life than I do. God, I want to intercede for them and bless them. Will you be with them? Isn't that part of the servant attitude? And you know what? Here's the thing. 
When we focus on God working and blessing others, who are we not focusing on? Our three best friends, right? Me, myself, and I. When we're interceding and living to bless others, as Christ came to do, we're not so worried about ourselves. We're not worried about where that next manna cake is coming from tomorrow, right? Because we're trusting God. Let's finish up in Matthew here. Matthew 6, verses 28 to 34. We need to seek God first above all things in that decision making. It says this, verse 28. And why are you worried about your clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like all of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of what? Little faith. Do not do one thing. What's it say? Do not do. Do not worry, then, saying, What will we eat? What shall we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here's the kicker. Here's where it all comes together. Here's the golden nugget. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So you do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The resolve for worrying is to seek the kingdom of God. Now that sounds so simple, but how much time do we really spend doing that? How much time do we seek the kingdom versus seek our control over it? Notice what Jesus doesn't say in this verse. He does say to seek the kingdom of, first seek the kingdom of God. Does he say this? Seek the kingdom of God and then worry about everything that happens in it. Trust God, but throw in a little stress and anxiety just to make it feel comfortable. Do you know that there are people that literally live their lives and they make their own drama because they don't know how to get out of that realm of uncomfortability? So they create stress in their lives just so they'll have stress and can draw attention to them saying, look what's going on in my life. You know people like that? I mean, they could have such a beautiful, calm, peaceful life, content in God, but because they're so unused to that contentment, it's such an obscure, strange feeling for them that without stress and anxiety in their life, they don't know how to function. Don't we all do that a little bit? You ever find yourself where life is actually going good and everything's calm and everything's beautiful and all of a sudden you find yourself saying, okay, something's wrong because this is all too good to be true. Something, something's not right. What? This is, this is just too good. Growing up in a sinful world that encourages anxiety and stress and guilt and struggle because it keeps us from God, where you think it would draw us closer to God, what we end up doing is not focusing on God, not seeking a kingdom first. What do we focus on? The issue. Right? Still thinking about that one thing? The issue. We focus on that instead of seeking God's kingdom first. And that's where it messes, messes us up. 
here's where we got to go. We got to seek the kingdom of God first. We got to live out this verse. Psalm verse nine or chapter ninety, back in the Old Testament. Psalm ninety, great lesson from the Old Testament in one single verse. It says this: Psalm ninety, verse twelve. So teach us. In other words, the psalmist is saying, I want you to instruct me. I want you to show me something that I haven't completely grasped or known yet. It's still foreign to me. So teach me to number our days. In other words, to calculate that we have so many days in this life, we need to be wise about them. Then it has a comma, which well, a comma always means there are more. And it says that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. The psalmist is saying, Lord, I need you to show me how to trust in you. To do that, I know I have a limited amount of time on this earth before I'm with you in the new kingdom, the new heaven. So teach me to use these days wisely. That I may present to you a heart of wisdom. In other words, a heart like David's, a heart after God's own heart, right? Teach me to be conscious of the time that I'm spending, Lord, that I may use it wisely for you. Because if we seek the kingdom of God to obey God here in the now, what do you think the chances are of our future turning out good in God? Pretty good. If we quit focusing on the worry and the issue at the moment and we trust God and obey him, chances are things will turn out very good. 1988, a study was done now remember, this is 1988, uh, on how people spend their lives. Here's what it came up with. In an average lifetime, an American will spend six months sitting at a stoplight. Just sitting there, right? Waiting. Hitting a horn. Come on, go, go, right? Six months sitting at a stoplight. In an average American lifetime, an average American will spend eight months opening junk mail. Well, that's such a good use of time. You ever get junk mail, right? And you open it, why do you open it? You know it's junk mail from the minute you see it, right? <laughs> hey, sign up for this subscription. I didn't sign up for that. But what do we do? We wanna open it to see what's inside. In the average lifetime, the average American will spend one year looking for misplaced objects. And I think that increases the older you get, right? Um, two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. Okay? Four years doing housework. Here's the sad thing if you're on Walmart or Costco or anywhere. Five years waiting in line. That's worse than a stoplight, isn't it? Even if you're at McDonald's, you gotta wait. Five <laughs> years in your lifetime just spent waiting in line, and that doesn't include a stoplight. And here's one that hits really home to us. In the average American lifetime, you and I will spend an average of six years eating. Some of us more years than others, but at least six years <laughs> eating, right? That's what we do. we got to break it down and look at that and say, what are we really doing with our time? 
when we're stressing out and saying, oh, I gotta take a break, I'm so stressed, which I know that, I've done that. Maybe I need to deal with the issue and say, God, what would you have me to do with this issue instead of trying to run away from it to deal with it and overcome it? Because the Bible calls us overcomers, yes? But to be an overcomer, what do you have to do? If David has a giant and he wants to overcome the giant, what does he have to do? Face the giant and deal with the giant. Remember David's story? He did it all in the name of the Lord. He was angry at Goliath because Goliath profaned the name of his God. And he went out there seeking justice for his God. This little pipsqueak teenage guy with a, with a slingshot, which was actually a weapon at the time, took on Goliath with all his armor, and boom, one stone took him out, where the whole armies of Israel couldn't even do that. They were scared to death, locked in their fear and anxiety and worry that they wouldn't even come down and face Goliath. And here comes one young man whose heart was sold to God. And he faced the giant, and here's the beauty of overcoming. He overcame the giant because he trusted God. Do you know in the book of Revelation, when it talks about Satan being bound, you all know Satan, right? You read about him in the Bible, you know, the devil, you know, that bad guy that Lucifer fell from heaven, right? And we think he's so powerful, right? If you watch the horror movies, you know, he always kind of gets you right in the dark. Do you know in the book of Revelation, when God calls Satan to be bound, do you know how many angels he sends to bind Satan? One. Not a legion, not a whole army, not all the myriads of angels in heaven. He sends one angel to bind Satan. Which, when I put that in perspective, tells me what? He's not as great as I make him out to be, as powerful as he. And if I trust in God, God will overcome that for me. I've heard, the, I've heard it said that the only thing that matters a hundred years from now is our relationship with God. Kind of a true statement, isn't it? Where your relationship with God is now will impact where it is in the future. You know, we've joked about this, but... Man, if serving God is horrible for you now, <laughs> you probably don't want to be in heaven. Right? But if serving God is a joy for you now, heaven's going to be awesome. It's all about a relationship now. So when Matthew tells us to overcome worry and anxiety by seeking the kingdom of God first, and as the psalmist said, to teach us to number our days, to trust in God's wisdom over our wisdom, what God is telling us, what Jesus is telling us is trust in the Lord today to establish your future tomorrow. Learn to enjoy my relationship with God now and trust him so that when heaven comes, man, it's like trusting God on steroids. It's great. That's the picture. That's the picture. Now, I asked you for the last 30, 45 minutes to think about one thing, right? You still got that? Let me ask you a couple questions. In these last 40-some minutes of thinking about that one thing, did it make you more relaxed? <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank you very much. The answer is no. And actually, what the truth is, is thinking about that one thing that you really couldn't do anything to change it right now, is it stole from you, didn't it? It stole some of the contentment that you could have had in God in the last 40 minutes took that right from you, and you and I allowed that. 
Did worrying about that one issue make your life any better in the last 40 minutes? Nope. Probably made it worse because your focus was on that thing, not on hearing the Word of God. Did it make your life any closer to God? No, it distracted you from God, right? We have those 911 prayers of God help me, but that's not an endearing relationship prayer. If I'm always running to Christy going, Christy, save me! There's a spider in the shower, go get it! <laughs> if that's all my life is, is coming to her with panic moments saying, fix this, fix this, that's really not a relationship, is it? That relationship is walking and talking with God like the hymn says, spending time with Him, conversing, learning from Him. That's a relationship. When we're in worry, God, that's not building relationship. It's just a panic moment going, save me. We need to build relationship. Did worrying about that one issue help you in the last 40 minutes to spend your time wisely? No. Again, it just distracted you. Did it change the future? No. Unless it changed it to make you worry more after the sermon where you don't apply the sermon and then you still keep worrying about it, right? Here's the big idea. Trust God in faith. Obey Him now and find the pleasure in the relationship in that so you're not stressing. Because that worry and that stress doesn't do anything good for you in your life. It only takes from you. And in fact, Jesus gave that command in Matthew 28. He says, do not, what? Worry. So we need to do like the psalmist and come to God and say, God, teach me not to worry. Teach me to number my days to trust in you, to know how to do that which I don't completely understand right now. Lord, I want you to show me. Because here's the beautiful thing. The Bible says that we seek the Lord with all our heart, mind, and strength. We will what? Find him. Jesus also gives the imagery that if a man or a, a boy asks his father for something, will his dad give him something else? No, a good dad gives the son what blesses him. That if we ask God to teach us not to worry, so that we trust God more and worry less, don't you think God will answer that prayer? I think so. Personal story, a couple months ago, you know, I shared with you that I was stressing over my job and I just didn't find contentment in there. So I spent the last couple weeks asking God to help me find that contentment in my job. Here's the reality. <laughs> my job hasn't changed. It's gotten worse. But I'm not as stressed over it now because I know God's providing. What changed wasn't my job. You know what changed? Me. It wasn't the circumstance, it was my outlook on the circumstance that I trust God more than I am concerned over what's going on in the craziness of the work that I can't control. And that's what Jesus is telling us and not worrying. That's where Jesus' love reigns over our future by saying, don't worry, I've got the whole world, as the Sunday School song says, where? In my hands. Just trust me and I'll provide. Enough said? Anybody worried about if you're going to have enough food for lunch yet? Okay. Never. Never. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. In the simpleness of, of this message, Lord, I pray that uh, 
we would take it to heart, that we would have personal application, Lord, because, Lord, even though we have known you and, and have been in relationship with you, we have your salvation, your Holy Spirit, we still have this tendency to pull back and worry and be anxious about things, to, to, to not make wise decisions because we're trying to have control. Lord, I pray that you would help us to obey you and not worry, to trust in you to provide for us daily, and to teach us to make good decisions now to obey you in your word, in the moving of your spirit, that our future would be set in you. That, Lord, instead of worrying about the future, we would look forward to the future so that we rejoice in how you have protected and provided us. We ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.